0: Heavenly Father, I thank you that you're a God of infinite grace and mercy. I thank you, Father, for the Word of God and that we can come together tonight and we can laugh together and we can open the scriptures and we can study the scriptures and look at how they apply to our lives today and what it meant back in the first century and what it means in the 21st century. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would grant me the privilege of being filled and anointed by the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would speak through me, that I would be a vessel of honor set apart for for the glory of Jesus and the Father tonight. Lord, I can't do it without you. And I'm so glad that when you saved me, when Jesus saved me, he gave me the gift of you, the Holy Spirit. So Lord, speak to our hearts tonight, do a work in our hearts. Lord, this is not just an intellectual exercise tonight. We're not just trying to cram facts into our mind. Lord, we want the Word of God to make a difference in how we live and how we worship and how we honor you. So, Lord, do a work tonight. I pray for that all throughout this building, for every age group, from the preschoolers, to the oldest senior adult, that you would do incredible things here tonight. Lord, we've got some new things started tonight. Lord, there's a, I pray in the name of Jesus that these new classes that we started tonight, that the anointing of the spirit of God would rest upon them and you would do an incredible work. Lord, we love you in Jesus name. Amen. Take your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter one. Last time we got through three verses, but I'm telling you, boy, that was some rich stuff. Remember what what we looked at? God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, remember, we're living in the last days. Last days started When Jesus was resurrected from the dead. In these last days he has spoken to us in his son. Whom he appointed heir of all things to whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory. The exact representation of his nature. And upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And you remember last time we talked about the fact that in the temple, in temple worship, the priests never sat down. There were no seats in the temple, none, because their work was never done. They offered one sacrifice after the other sacrifice after the other sacrifice because the sacrifices were not final. They were not complete. They were pictures of. Of the perfect sacrifice that the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, would offer on the cross of Calvary. And one of the things about Hebrews, it it reveals the truth that the sacrifice of Jesus is greater than all the other sacrifices that were ever offered under the Old Covenant. And so we come tonight and we're going to cover verses 4 to 14. Believe it or not, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. Okay. Now, some of you may be late for the Grizzlies game, (laughs) but uh, maybe you can get over that. So let me begin. A few years ago, the Chicago Tribune reported the story of a woman in New Mexico who was frying tortillas, and she noticed that the skillet burns on one of her tortillas resembled the face of Jesus. I immediately thought, how did she know what Jesus looked like? Anyway, she excitedly showed it to her husband and neighbors who all agreed that the face looked on the tortilla looked just like the face of Jesus. So she went to her priest to have the priest to bless the tortilla. This is a true story. And He was taken back by it. He looked at it and and he finally went along with her and he blessed tortilla. So the woman took the tortilla home, put it in a glass case, put piles of cotton around it to make it look like it was floating on clouds, built a special altar for it and opened the little shrine to visitors. Within a few months, More than 8,000 people came to the shrine of Jesus the tortilla. All of them agreed that the face and the burn marks on the tortilla was the face of Jesus. Now look, that is a funny story. It's a sad story. Because this was in the Chicago Tribune. So you know it's true if it's coming out of the newspaper, right? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and um, but you know, getting, getting Jesus wrong is not funny. And for 2,000 years, people have been, have been making mistakes about Jesus. A lot of people have discounted the, the humanity of Jesus, that he, they say he, he was not fully God. A lot of people have discounted, especially in our day, have discounted the deity of Jesus. They say he's not really God. You know, the Jehovah's Witnesses, they believe that Jesus was a little G God, not the main God, okay? And I'm telling you, when you demote Jesus... From the, the exalted Christ that he is, you create a world of hurt for yourself and for people who will listen to you. So it's very important that we come and, and Sunday after Sunday and Wednesday night after Wednesday night that we study about Jesus. I, I love what we're doing Sunday morning, uh, the study of Jesus. Um, you know, it's interesting. Sunday morning, I, I, I finished the prologue, Genesis, uh, John 1, 1 through 18. And, and the message was titled, Who is Jesus? And there was a group of young men here from a different religion. And that's not a coincidence that they came and they heard An evangelical preacher preach about who is Jesus based upon the Bible. And I've been praying for those guys this week and I I don't know their names, but if you will just lift them up before the Lord and pray that the, the gospel of Jesus will get through their heart to their hearts. You know, as we look at Hebrews chapter one, verses 4 to 14, in in, in 1 through 3, basically to summarize, I'm not going to go back and re-preach what I did the last time we were together before the Snowmageddon. (laughs) Um, But basically in chapter uh, 1, verse 1 and 2, Jesus is presented as the prophet, speaking for God in the last days. In verse uh, verse 2, verse 3, he is presented to us as, as the, uh, the, the, the priest who offers sacrifice, sat down at the right hand of God after he made purification. That, he's the priest. He's prophet, priest, and he's king. What did he do? He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high prophet, priest, and king. That's Jesus. That's who he is. You know, when you think about this book of Hebrews, it was written just as a review here before AD 70. Why, Why AD 70? Because in AD 70, the Romans came into Jerusalem and destroyed, absolutely destroyed the city of Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. And for 2,000 years, the Jewish people have been without a temple and without without a temple sacrifices for 2,000 years. And, And so this book was written before A.D. 70 because in this book, they still talk about the sacrifices taking place in the temple. So we know it's before A.D. 70. And we know it was after the ascension of Jesus back to heaven. So sometime between maybe 33 A.D. to 70 A.D., this book was written. We don't know who the author is. I've had people say, Pastor, who do you think the author is? I don't have a clue. I I do have a clue. The Holy Spirit is the author of Hebrews. He's the author of Hebrews. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit inspired the Word of God. That means the Word of God is God-breathed. It didn't come out of the the, the mind of a man or the heart of a man. It came from the very heart of God. So the recipients of this letter were heavily persecuted. Persecuted because they identified with Jesus. That made them... Uh, persona non grata to, the, to the, 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 the Romans. It made them persona non grata to the Jews. So they were between a rock and a hard place. And the theme of Hebrews, that word better, is found 13 times in this book. And over and over in this book, it keeps going over the fact that Jesus is better, a lot like verse, verses one and two. He's better than the prophets. He's better than Isaiah. He's better than Jeremiah. He's better than uh, Ezekiel. He's better than the prophets. But tonight we're going to look at that Jesus is superior to the angels. To the angels. Verses 4 to 14 is all about that. The primary exhortation in this letter is for for the the Jewish believers who receive this letter to endure in their faith, to keep on keeping on. Don't turn away from Jesus and go back to something inferior that you believed before because it's hard on you because of persecution. Don't do that. So um, in verses 4 to 14... Jesus is superior to angels. Now, speaking of angels, there are 108 direct references to angels in the Old Testament and 165 direct references to angels in the New Testament. If you've been around here a long time, you know that several years ago on Sunday nights, I preached a series on angels. And if you want to go to the website and look that up, you you can do that. It was an interesting study. The old covenant was brought to man and maintained by angelic mediation. The Jews knew this. And consequently, they had the highest regard for angels, even to a fault. Some respected angels to to the degree that they worshiped them. You say, Pat, how do you know That angelic worship was going on in the first century. Well, in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 to 19, Paul wrote, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement. Look at this. And the worship of what? Angels. And the worship of angels. Taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. And not holding fast to the head, the head being Jesus, from whom the entire body, that's the body of Christ, being supplied And held together by joints and ligaments grows with the growth which is from God. So John MacArthur in his commentary clarified the reason for the author's emphasis in our text tonight. I quote, he said, so to the Jewish mind, angels were extremely exalted. Immeasurably important. If the writer of Hebrews, therefore was to persuade his fellow Jews that Christ is the mediator of a better covenant than that given through Moses. He would have to show, among other things, that Christ is better than angels. Do you see the rationale there? That's the thrust of verses 4 to 14. Christ must be shown to be better than the bearers and mediators of the old covenant, namely the angels seven Old Testament passages quoted from the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament are used to establish this truth. Now the Greek translation of the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures was called the Septuagint, the Septuagint. And one thing that as you look at these Old Testament references here in verses four to 14, it's just chock full of Old Testament. In fact, the whole book of Hebrews is chock full of Old Testament. And the one thing that came to my mind is that Jesus Christ permeates the teaching of the Old Testament. Some people say, well, Jesus is just New Testament. No, 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 no. Jesus is all through the Old Testament beginning in Genesis chapter. Well, actually, Genesis chapter one, verse one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, and the Trinity was there involved in the creation of everything. And, and then you notice that the first prophecy in the Bible is Genesis 3:15, where God promises that He's going to bring to the woman uh, a, a child that will that will crush the head of Satan. Satan will bruise his heel, but The seed of the woman will crush the head and destroy Satan at some point in the future. And you remember when Jesus was resurrected from the dead and the disciples were walking along by themselves to Emmaus. You remember that? Jesus, the resurrected Christ, came up and began to walk with them, right? And he was able to conceal his identity to them. And they're talking about what happened in Jerusalem, and Jesus is sort of um, acting like he doesn't know what happened, even though he was deeply involved in it. And Jesus was invited into their home, and Jesus had a meal with them. And on the way, you know what Jesus did to, to their home? He began to take Old Testament prophecies... And relate to those disciples how those Old Testament prophecies related to the Messiah. And when they were eating, he broke bread and they recognized him and he was gone. The Old Testament is a Christ-centric part of the Bible. That's why it absolutely infuriates me when I hear preachers or scholars say that we need to forget the Old Testament. Well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Why would you forget a part of Scripture that is inspired by the Holy Spirit and had Jesus all the way through it? All you got to do is study a little bit and you can pick it up. So, Jesus is superior to the angels for seven reasons, all right? Number one, number one reason, Jesus is the son of God. Look at verse four. Having become as much better than the angels. that don't seal the deal for us right there, right? Having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. Now, here's an interesting thing. Having become so much better than the angels, Jesus has eternally been better than the angels. Let let me just make that very clear so nobody has a misunderstanding. But when Jesus was incarnated, when he became a human being, he became by his own uh, will he became lower than the angels? You say, how do you know that? Well, look at chapter 2, verse 9. But we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for every one. Now, through the cross the resurrection and the ascension, Jesus was exalted and the glory that had been his for all of eternity was returned to him and bestowed on him. Take Philippians chapter two, verses five to 11. I've got it in your notes there. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Now, when it says he emptied himself, what did he empty himself of? He emptied himself of the glory that had been his for all of eternity. He did not empty himself of his deity, not for one iota of a second, Okay, he emptied himself of the glory that had been his for all of eternity. And so the Bible says in verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God, God the Father highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Those who are in heaven on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Now, look at this next phrase in verse four. He has inherited a more excellent name than they. Well, the obvious question that, that, that pops up in our mind is, well, what name is being referred to here? Well, look at verse 5, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 5. For to which of the angels did he ever say, look at this, you are my son. Did God the Father? By the way, do you know there are only three angels that are named in Scripture? Do you know their names? Michael. Michael. Gabriel, Lucifer, Lucifer, Lucifer was an angel. The devil was an angel. Only three are named, but you know what the Jewish people did? The Jewish people got so enamored with angels that they started giving names to angels that are not recorded in the Old Testament not at all. That, that, that was the danger that the Jewish believers and those who were Jewish seekers were dealing with in the first century. By the way, in the, in the, the Greek speaking world, the Gentile world, there was a, a new thing on the horizon. It was called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism, which is a heresy, a blatant heresy, Uh, involved the worship of angels. So in both the Gentile world and the Jewish world, there was this proclivity to to being so enamored with angels that some people even worship them. But look at verse 5. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, Or, or the heavenly father. Did the heavenly father ever say to Gabriel, you are my son? Did he ever say to Michael, you are my son? And we know he certainly didn't say that to Lucifer. And look at this. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you're my son? Today I have begotten you. And again, I will be a father to him and he shall be a son to me. Now, this is a direct quote from the Old Testament. From the Septuagint, the Greek a translation of the Old Testament. Now, Psalm 2-7, from which this is taken, is a powerful messianic psalm. The psalmist wrote, You are my son, today I have begotten you. But what, what does it mean to be begotten? What does that mean? You know what it sounds like? You know what it sounds like? It sounds like there came a point when Jesus was born. Jesus was never born. Jesus is eternal in nature he has neither beginning nor ending I hope and pray everyone understands that so what what does it mean when God the father says you are my son today I have begotten you the term begotten stresses the singularity and superiority of Christ as God the Greek word translated only begotten can also mean one of a kind. It, it, it's a reference to a position. It's a title. Okay. It's, it, it underscores the same truth being highlighted here in Hebrews chapter 1. That is that Christ is not only superior to angels. He is also the very same essence of the father. In other words, the name tells us who he is, not where he came from. Okay, Stephen Cole made this observation. He said, and I quote, this describes an eternal relationship between the first and second members of the the Trinity of the Godhead. They always have and always will relate to one another as father and son. Hey, by the way, there was never a moment when Jesus and the father were not father and son. That's eternal. Eternal. They, have all, they always have and always, always, always will relate to one another as father and son. Like a human father and son, God the father and Jesus' son share the same essential nature, which is the main point. Unlike a human father and son, God the father did not predate... The existence of God the Son, because Jesus shares his nature as the eternal God. So the angels were sometimes referred to in the plural as little s sons of God. Little S sons of God. In Job 1.6, take your Bible. I'm pretty sure it's there in Job 1.6. I hope it is. Job. I'm still breaking in this Bible. Okay. Now there was a day when the sons of God, notice little S sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. Well, who were the sons of God? They were angels. They were angelic beings and Satan, as a fallen angel, came and, and, and uh, wormed his way into this little meeting in the heavenlies, okay? So, uh, even though the angels are referred, referred to in the plural as sons of God, and believers sometimes are referred to as little as sons of God, n- listen. No single angel or no single believer has ever been referred to as capital S, Son of God. You won't find that anywhere in the Bible. Okay. That title is rever- reserved for Jesus alone. And it pictures. listen, it pictures his deity. Man, I'm telling you, if we don't get anything right, we, we need to make sure that we understand that Jesus is fully God and Jesus is fully human. And he still is in heaven today, fully God and fully human. He still is. How do you know he's fully human? Well, because the Bible says in revelation that as they gather to worship around the throne, they see the lamb and they see the scars from the cross left in his glorified human body. So Jesus is still fully God and fully human. Now he didn't become fully human until he was incarnated 2000 years ago and he became a human being. Okay? But he will forever be from from that day on he will forever be fully God and fully human. Now number 2, here's the second reason that Jesus is superior to the angels. Jesus is worshiped by the angels. Look at verse 6. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. Let all the angels of God worship him. Who is the him? It's Jesus. Now, firstborn, again, is a title. It's a title of rank and honor. Don't get the idea that Jesus had a natural birth. Jesus has always existed, folks. Always. He's eternal in nature. For the firstborn receives the inheritance and the special blessing. Christ is the firstborn of all creation because he created all things. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He, being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn. Of all creation, firstborn, rank and honor, title, the preeminent one. The angels are messengers and servants. Jesus is the Son of God, prophet, priest, and king. The angels are worshipers. Jesus is the one they adore and worship. How do I know that? Well, look at at Revelation chapter 5, verses 11 to 14. John is in heaven, he has this vision of heaven. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many, what? Many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Kajians of angels. Okay. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain. To receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard say. To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying amen and the angels fell down and worshiped. The author of Hebrews is building a a tremendous case for the superiority of Jesus above angels. We know that he's superior because he's the son of God. He's the son of God. God the Father never called an angel the son of God. And we know that he's superior because the angels worship him. And number three, we know it's superior because Jesus is served by angels. Hebrews 1:7. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. That's a quotation from Psalm 104, verse 4. The Hebrew and Greek words for spirit are also translated wind. Angels are created spirits. They have no bodies. Now, now, let let, let me say this to you. Angels do not have bodies, but they can appear with a body. How do we know that? Well, Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Who who did, and I believe it was the the pre-incarnate Christ who sent these two angels down into Sodom and Gomorrah to check and see if there were 10 righteous people, right? And those angels had bodies, Okay, Um, they were invited into Lot's home, right? The the, the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah wanted to do awful things to them, but they caused them to be blinded, right? The angels uh, made them blind. They couldn't see their left hand from their right hand. So angels can Appear with bodies, okay? Uh, angels sometimes served our Lord when he was on earth, and they serve him now, and they serve us now. And I'll get more into that in just a moment. Matthew four eleven, when Jesus was tempted. Remember, Jesus fasted and prayed for 40 days. And, and then the devil came to him and tempted him. And the Bible says, uh, Matthew 4, 11, then the devil left him and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Who ministered to Jesus? Angels. Now, let me ask you this. If angels are superior to Jesus, why would they minister to him? Well, they wouldn't, would they? And, and look, at the end of his ministry, in Luke chapter 22, verse 43... In the Garden of Gethsemane, remember, Jesus was pouring out his heart to God. Oh, God, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. The Bible says it was such pressure on Jesus. And he's so passionate that his capillaries burst. And blood began to ooze out of the pores of his skin. And the Bible says in Luke 22:43. 43, Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. So Jesus is served by angels. Number four, here's the fourth reason. Jesus reigns as the eternal king. Look at verse eight. But of the son, notice it's the son, right? The son, capital S, that's Jesus, Of the Son, he says, your throne. Now, look at this. Boy, this is powerful. This is God the Father saying to his Son, Jesus, God the Son, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. I love what MacArthur stated. He said, I believe this verse gives the clearest, most powerful, emphatic, irrefutable proof of the deity of Christ in the Bible, and it's from the Father himself. Man, you ought to put a star by that in your Bible. This is an important statement. And and notice, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. The kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will last forever. That's what Daniel prophesied in Daniel chapter 7. God the Father says to God the Son, your your kingdom uh, is is an everlasting kingdom. It's an everlasting kingdom. And this kingdom of our Lord is characterized by righteousness, by doing the right thing all the time. Do you understand that Jesus never committed one sin He was never unfair, unjust with any person, ever. He never sinned. He was perfectly righteous. By the way, that's the only way Jesus had the authority and the ability to go to the cross and die for our sins. Because he could offer the perfect sacrifice. He's the only one that could ever offer the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And God, the father accepted his sacrifice. Pastor, how do you know God, the father accepted the sacrifice of God, the son, because he raised him from the dead. He raised him from the dead. And the righteous scepter is a scepter of his kingdom. There will be no miscarriage of justice or unfairness in the Lord Jesus glorious kingdom ever. The superiority of Jesus over angels is due to the fact that he is the son of God. He is worshiped by angels. He is served by the angels and he reigns as the eternal king. Here's the fifth reason. Jesus is anointed by God, the father. Look at Hebrews one nine. You have loved righteousness. Righteousness. The Lord Jesus loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. By the way, the lawlessness in our world today is getting totally out of hand. I mean, it is unbelievable. It seems like the lawless are rewarded and those who are seeking to do the right thing or ostracize and even punish themselves. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Don't you look forward to being in that eternal kingdom with him when, when it's consummated finally and completely. Therefore God. Look at it. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. So Jesus loves righteousness And desires that the people in his kingdom also love righteousness and hate wickedness. Do you understand that if you're a born again believer. That the Lord Jesus our king wants you to love righteousness. You say what is righteousness. Righteousness is doing the right thing. It's doing the right thing. It's living up to the standards of God. Not creating your own standards or or adopting the world's standards, but living the way God wants you to live. Righteousness is the foundation of his kingdom. In Matthew 6.33, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his what? His righteousness. And all these other things, the food, the clothes, all that other stuff, God will provide for you. It's because of Christ's love for righteousness that God has anointed Jesus with the oil of joy. Obviously, Jesus is the anointed of God from eternity to eternity. And there's no particular moment. This is important. There's no particular moment when Jesus... uh, At which Jesus began his love for righteousness and after which he was anointed. It's always been that way. For all of eternity. This is who he is. Now look, we're talking about who is Jesus. We're talking about how important it is. So we avoid foolish things like the tortilla Jesus. Okay? That's absolute foolishness. But it's amazing That some woman can create her own little shrine and 8,000 people come and and kneel down at her little shrine. I'll tell you, folks, if you you reject the truth, you'll believe anything. That's why it's important that we know who Jesus is. Because I'm telling you, our culture is trying to demote and, and to cancel Jesus as we speak. And we cannot allow it to happen in the Christian church. A 16th century catechism asks the the penetrating question, but why are you called a Christian? I I read this, man, I, I, I like this. It gives the answer, because by faith, I am a member of Christ. And so I share in his anointing. I am anointed to confess his name to present myself to him as a living sacrifice of thanks, to strive with a free conscience against sin and the devil in this life, and afterward to reign with Christ over all creation for all of eternity. You say, where does the Bible say we'll reign with Christ? In, in Revelation chapter 22, it says, if you're born again believer, you will reign with Christ in his kingdom forever. Now, you're not going to be seated on the throne. That's his throne. But you're going to have a part to play in his reign. You'll get to serve him for all of eternity, the Bible says there in Revelation. You'll you'll get to reign with Christ. Now, here's the sixth reason that Jesus is superior. I think we're going to get out in time for the Grizzlies. Here's the sixth reason that Jesus is superior to the angels. Number six: Jesus created everything look at this now, including angels. Jesus created the angels. You do realize that angels are created beings. Angels It amazes me how people sometimes give uh, angels um, divine attributes. They think that an angel can be everywhere wants. An angel is not omnipresence. And I, let, let me tell you, the devil is a fallen angel. You know what he can't do? He can't be tempting you and tempting somebody in England at the same time. He can only be at one place at one time. Okay? Now, he has a legion of demons that he can dispatch to different places to to mess with different people and, and do different things. But he is not omnipresent. He is not uh, omnipotent. He doesn't have all power. It's not a fair fight when you talk about the, 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 uh, the devil and his demons going against the Lord Jesus Christ. not a fair fight at all. Jesus wins all the time. Now look at this. Jesus created everything, including games. Look, look at verse 10 through 12. And you, Lord, in the beginning, it's interesting, that word Lord is, is capitalized, right? And it's referring to the covenant name of God, Yahweh. And you, Lord, in the beginning, lay the foundation of the earth. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will pay. Now look, we we talked about this in John chapter 1, too, about Jesus being creator, right? We talked about this when we we read uh, and studied verse uh, three of chapter one. Um, now, v- verse two, where it says, "Through him also he made the world." So Jesus is a creator. He created everything, including angels. Verse eleven: They will perish but you remain. They all will become old like a garment. I'm beginning to feel that way. Verse 12, and like a mantle, you will roll them up like a garment. They will also be changed, but you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. Wow. Jesus Christ is the creator, and he's going to one day do away with the old creation. The Bible says, Peter wrote that one day, the, 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 the current creation is going to be destroyed and Jesus is going to create new heavens and a new earth. Man, it's going to be something. You know, we live in a world of change, don't we? It, I was talking to somebody the other day about the changes in America since I was growing up. Man, it is unbelievable. Unbelievable. And some of you have some years on me, so you can go even deeper with that. But, but you know, in a world filled with change, we need someone that we can count on that will never change. You realize this scripture says that Jesus will never change. In fact, in Hebrews 13, 8, the Bible said Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, today. And forever. That's good news, isn't it? Here's the seventh and final reason that Jesus is superior to angels. Jesus is seated at God the Father's right hand. Look at verse 13 and 14. But to which of the angels... It's almost like a rhetorical question here, but to which of the angels has he, has God the father ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now the expected answer to that is what? None, not Michael, not Gabriel, not some unnamed angel. Not one single angel has ever been invited by God the Father to sit at his throne at his right hand. That's reserved for one person. That's our king. Our king. Verse 13 is a powerful, powerful verse. It's a quote that comes from Psalm 110, verse 1. This Psalm, Psalm 110, is cited in the New Testament more often than any other Old Testament verse, Psalm 110, verse 1. It's cited in the New Testament 14 times. The fact that Jesus Christ is now at the Father's right hand, the place, by by the way, the the right hand in, in, in Hebrew thought uh, seated at the right hand is a place of preeminence. Preeminence. It's a place of power. Great power. And Jesus has is seated at the right hand of God the Father and he sat there after he made purification of sins according to verse 3 of chapter 1. The fact that Jesus is now at the Father's right hand is mentioned many times in the New Testament. I I listed those verses for you. It's just over and over and over again. Now, there's a reason that the Holy Spirit included all of these verses that speak of Jesus seated at the right hand of God the Father. No angel is seated next to God in the glory of heaven, nor will an angel ever be seated at the right hand of God. Angels are ministering spirits who serve believers in ways we are obviously not aware of. Look at verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? Now, I, I look. I have never in my life had a visual uh, encounter with an angel. But I'll bet you when I get to heaven, I'll find that I had many encounters with an angel that I was unaware of. Let, Let me give you an example. Do you remember when Elijah had won the great battle there on, on Mount Carmel. And man, he, he was on top of the world, remember? He slew, I think, 7,000 of the prophets of Baal. And, and then he got word that Jezebel had threatened his life. And this great prophet of God was filled with fear. And he ran to the wilderness Remember, he ran to the wilderness. He asked his servant to stay back and, and, and he, he was under a little bush and he asked God to take his life. Remember that? God, just take my life. He's feeling sorry for himself and he thought he was the only one who was standing for God at that time. But God said, look, I, 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 I've got others you don't know about. But what did God do? Remember? Number one, he was emotionally and physically and spiritually exhausted. exhausted. What did God do? God sent an angel. That angel allowed him to sleep. That angel brought a flask of water. And that angel cooked some bread. And I think he fed him about twice. And he drank water. And he was a little revived. But to me, that's a picture of an angel being a ministering spirit for those who will inherit salvation. I'm telling you, folks, one day we're going to see how God loved us so much. And he dispatched angels at various points in our life, maybe maybe to protect us from a horrendous wreck that would have taken our lives prematurely because God was not through with us. Or, or maybe it was to encourage us in some way when we were at, in, down deep in the dumps. I tell you, God loves us. Jesus is superior to Angels. And it's very important that we realize that Jesus is superior to anybody and anything. The new covenant is superior to the old covenant. The sacrifice of Jesus is superior to all the sacrifices under the old covenant. Nothing compares with Jesus. Why would you ever, remember what what, what the writer of Hebrews is doing here, he's, he's calling them to endure to keep on keeping on, to keep your faith, keep serving Jesus. Don't go back to what you have because it's inferior. It's inferior. So that's a word for us today. The Bible says in the New Testament that before Jesus comes, there's going to be a great apostasy in the church. For God's sake, don't let it be you. Don't, don't turn your back on Jesus Don't turn your back on the Word of God. Stay true to Him until He brings you into glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for our time together. Thank You for this marvelous chapter, chapter 1 of Hebrews. Thank you for this study, Lord. We're looking so forward to learning more and more about you. And I just pray in the name of Jesus that you would bless us. I pray, Lord, that every person within the sound of my voice, if they're watching live stream, if they're here in the room, I pray that everyone will endure to the end, that we will never, ever, ever quit on you, Lord Jesus. Please help us to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our toil is not in vain in you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. God bless you.